Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This is episode number 153, and today I've got Mr. Movement himself, Kelly Dell. Now, Kelly is joining us all the way from Ottawa, Canada, and he's been introduced to me by my good friend, Ryan Fahey, who has been on the show twice. Now, Kelly is leading the way in everything he's doing, and he's just released this awesome book, Feel Like It, and basically what it does is it breaks down the failing fitness relationships and the way we look at motivation, the way we use willpower, all right, and different ways that we can get more of it, um, but what ended up happening in this conversation is it went on a completely different way, and it might have something to do with my passion for play, creativity, risk-taking, and everything like that, but we talk about that, we talk about the power of connection through mentors, finding a passion with your parents or your children. So that could be through movement. It could be through golf like it is for Kelly today um, and so many other things. Now, we talk about that. We also got the questions at the end that I love about advice and I think Kelly's advice for 18-year-old Kelly is next level. So guys, this chat is awesome. We talk about Kelly living all over the world, doing amazing work, being a lecturer, um, working as a mental performance consultant for high-powered athletes and everything else. Guys, Kelly Dell is a superstar and you are going to love today's chat. Welcome back to the podcast. I am stoked. I've got Mr. Movement himself, Kelly Dell. How are you, buddy? Oh, doing great. Uh, doing great here in Canada. Probably a little warmer than you are by the sounds of things, but doing great. Mate, it's, uh, I know you've got a heat wave at the moment in Canada and absolutely loving it. Now, I'm really excited. Ryan Farhey, a mutual friend who also is an author like yourself, has introduced us and just said, look, you're going to get along real well today. You need to have Kelly on the podcast. So I'm stoked. Thanks for joining us, mate. Can, now, we're going to talk about everything you're doing now, but do you want to just paint a little picture for our listeners, Kelly, about a little bit about your background and upbringing, mate? Yeah, well, uh, in terms of my upbringing, uh, sort of the start of my whole journey, my author journey and uh, my professional journey, I grew up on, well, a little bit of uh, paint a picture here, the one of the most flattest places on earth, which is the <laughs> middle of Canada, the prairies, where literally we there's no hills, no mountains, hardly any trees for, you know, uh, around. You can see as far as the human eye can see sort of thing. So farm country and that. And so I grew up in that part of Canada very harsh winters, uh, which drove a lot of uh, people to, you know, be active more um, indoors, playing hockey, ice hockey, and uh, and so my my time as a kid was uh, really invested in playing sports. I was, you know, good student and I liked school and stuff. But really, when I look back at my upbringing um, in a small prairie town, the town's name is called Altona. Oddly enough, we have a sister city, uh, or at least we used to, in Australia called Emerald, and uh, we have we share the same festival uh, uh, in some weird fashion. So there's this all there's an Australian tie to my little hometown of 4,000 people called Altona. But um, anyway, and so I grew up really spending a lot of my time playing sports. Um, I was a really really sporty kid, and played basketball, volleyball. Like I said, in the winter, we play, uh, play hockey. In the summer, I would play um, uh, baseball. Baseball was really my main sport, probably one of the sports I was the most talented at. And uh, my father was a golfer and a golf coach. So I 
spent a lot of time on golf courses growing up as well, which was a great time to spend quality time with, uh, with my dad. And, uh, so that really defined a lot of my, uh, my upbringing. And also it's kind of set the stage for my interest in pursuing academically pursuing, um, sports and exercise and, and health at a more, uh, at a, at a broader level. And so after I graduated from high school, uh, I went to, uh, the university of Winnipeg where I, um, basically came across a, a mentor of mine who is still a mentor. His name is Dr. Cal Bodrell, and he was teaching sports psychology in, at the University of Winnipeg, and it really caught my attention. That's really where the spark academically was um, was uh, was set um, when it comes to where if I look back academically, where everything has, uh, where everything originated. And so after that point, I, uh, I graduated from the University of Winnipeg with a psychology and sports science degree. And there's only one place I really wanted to go for my master's, which is the University of Ottawa, to study um, under uh, a professor named Dr. Terry Orlick, who is uh, very big in the sports psychology and performance psychology world. He's got a book called Pursuit of Excellence, In Pursuit of Excellence, and another book that is called Feeling Great, which uh, really focused on the teaching of mental skills in the classroom and particularly in the at the elementary school levels. And so I had experiences uh, during my undergrad where I was teaching mental skills, things that we would, um, in sports psychology, teach a little bit differently, but they were essentially the the core ideas were the same. We would teach them to athletes, but we are now uh, adapting them to little kids, essentially. And um, so I was able to study the uh, applied side of sports psychology, sport and exercise psychology with uh, under him. And after my master's, I then uh, hopped on a boat and went overseas to the UK. And I uh, took a lecturer position at the University of Southampton, where I sp- uh, where I taught in an honors sports science program there for about three years. And while I was there, I was contemplating, so what next? I really loved uh, being in education, higher education, but there was still something I wanted to pursue, I think, academically on the research side. So I returned to Ottawa. I'm kind of like a boomerang. I keep returning <laughs> to Ottawa. And I... Uh, I I started a doctorate in population health, so I started dipping more into the health side of things rather than sport. And along the way, along this journey of doing my doctorate, I actually took a break um, uh, in the middle of it, took a hiatus. And I, I, I think the, the real catalyst for my work today, if I look back at it, about 10 years ago now, I took this break in the middle of my doctorate and I took a, a consulting assignment, uh, a project on at a health and fitness center uh, in down in the States, United States. And it was there that I started moving uh, out of sport. I would say I still am working in sport. I still work with athletes on the um, on the mental uh, side of things, on pr- uh, mental preparation. But it really that that assignment was an important one because now I started talking every single day and interviewing and collecting exercise histories every single day of every single new member that would join this particular fitness center. And I started hearing things that were really peculiar and contrary to what I was almost learning in some of the textbooks. And I thought there's something, you know, here, it was really, really curious. It really stoked my, my curiosity. And from there, I, um, after being there for several years, I decided that this is so fascinating to me that I wanted to follow it further. And I started working in this area 
as a consultant. And I went back, of course, I finished my doctorate that, you know, I was one of those people who took eight to 10 years to, to finish <laughs> the doctorate. That just, you know what? Everyone goes at their own pace. They do. Um, but if I didn't take that break, I don't think I would have been here. I don't think I would have written my book. And um, I, I don't think I would be doing the work now that I do and, you know, and speaking on these topics at all. It was, it's funny how these little moments add up and then something comes along and just sort of tells you what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I think things happen for a reason there, Cal. And you probably, we're going to get to your book because I'm really excited about that. And that's what um, the introduction from Ryan was all about. There's so many things you've just mentioned there that I want to unpack. And um, one of them, obviously growing up, how cold did it get in Altona? uh, How cold in the winter months? Um, well, you know, I don't know if you guys ever use the uh, idea of wind chill factor. I'm not too sure that's a, an, an idea in Australia, but I remember, I'll give you, there was a, there was a time, this is when I was uh, in Winnipeg. So going to university, there was a time that I decided in the middle of February and that's winter, of course, over here that I was going to walk from my, uh, my apartment to the campus every day. And, uh, that was the month that, uh, the, the Winnipeg or Manitoba, which is the province broke the record for most days um, below minus 20 degrees Celsius. <laughs> it, it, was, it was something like 27 or 28 straight days. Oh. That, that was the high of the day. That wasn't even the low. And we could, we could talk a lot of numbers, but sometimes wind chill could get into the minus 40s, oh. minus 50s, depending on. So this is now you get the idea why a lot of Canadians play hockey, right? Get out of the cold. And, and at least get some get some physical activity going in in, in inside. Oh, I, oh, uh, that, that baffles that baffles me, Kelly. Like I was just saying, yeah. um, obviously we're in winter in the moment in Melbourne, and I just took the dog for a walk in the morning, and I think it's about four degrees, and I was like, "That's cold," but mate, that is next level. Yeah. I, I can't believe that. And I there, like there it. is, and, <laughs> yeah. and you know what? Even within even within Canada. Uh, that part of the Canada, the, the you know the, the prairies is notorious as being one of the coldest. Of course, the northern parts are cold, but the prairies are just the winds that come across you know the farmlands and, and stuff are just really wicked sharp, right? So, oh, mate, and I love <laughs> I love how you said that uh, people go and play ice hockey to warm up. That's <laughs> yeah. I just the listening, and I'm sure this is the beauty of podcasting that um, just completely different worlds, but we can relate on so many topics. So I also love that obviously playing baseball, but then also you mentioned a lot about golf and uh, what what was that bond like? Obviously um, with your father, so you shared a common interest. How how do you think that sort of fostered your relationship um, growing up and today? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I just gave a talk. Actually, I gave a, 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 the address to uh, my my old high school, the graduation address to my old hi- high school last month, and I mentioned him in my talk because you know he plays a really important role in my life. He was also the town barber for my town. So, uh, you know, when you live in a small town, first off, you know, everyone kind of knows everybody, but also when your dad's the the town barber, you know, way more than you might, you know, you should about <laughs> sure everybody else, but they also, <laughs> they also know you. And so he had this really interesting role in the community. And, um, but it was interesting amongst all of that stuff, when we were on the golf course, that is your, your, it's a really great question. That's, that's where our relationship uh, really strengthened. But there was also times, you know, where you, you know, any father son relationship gets strained when, <laughs> when you of talk course. about playing sports and stuff like that too. So the golf course was this great, um, I don't know. It was like a, a place where I could learn from him. I could watch him. I could watch how he, um, you know, carried himself emotionally when things weren't going well. Um, I had 
always, and this is maybe part of the intrigue of getting into sports psychology too, but you know, I had, it's a pretty good golfer. And so I felt a lot of uh, sometimes pressure and expectations growing up to, uh, to follow that, uh, you know, not from my father, but uh, often from other people. And, but it was, a, it was a place where, you know, we could talk about those things and, um, you know, and, and he never would pressure me. And so even today when I go and play with him, it's one of those special things to do because it's not only just, a, you know, a trip down memory lane, but it's a great time that where we can have discussions about stuff, about anything really. And there's very few sports where you can have a little kid, you know, and I grew up, I started playing golf when I was uh, three or four, right? So like my whole upbringing where you could have these conversations with your dad, where he is playing alongside you, um, with you in the same group, right? It's not like you can play soccer or, uh, uh, you know, even ice hockey. It's really hard to do those things, but golf, you can have your family with you. And so that's pretty, it's a pretty unique thing. It's a really good question that you asked that. So yeah, it's a very special, I have a very special relationship and, uh, and golf was a big part of that, absolutely. Yeah, I I just think about it, and um, one thing, obviously, working with students, uh, kids, adults, people in sport, like yourself, Kelly, is that finding something of common interest that you can share that doesn't involve alcohol, it doesn't involve other people, and you're obviously moving your body and getting the benefits of it. I think that's a, a really good point that you just mentioned there, and I, I love the key that you just said that you were very good, but your father didn't push you, and I think that's an important aspect, and that's probably why it's such a special sort of memory for you and you still come back to it now so people listening try and find something like that anything creative anything play-based where you're present you're in the moment and you can share something special together because you'll have that forever kelly and i love that if anyone takes anything away from today that's really important and kelly you mentioned you've lived all over the world you're like a bit of a nomad so what what have you figured out about yourself and basically traveling i think it's such a level up and um a real sort of lesson in life but from living in like the uk the states canada what what has that taught you about yourself and also living in different countries well when i moved over to uh southampton in the south of england um i didn't know anyone really i, I mean i i had acquaintances uh you know british acquaintances but i i was 23 or 24 i mean i was a pretty young fella at that point and uh, fortunately, the university really um, embraced me and they knew that I was making this move and stuff. And they were very accommodating. And I made some uh, colleague uh, friends uh, in, in uh, the department quite quickly, which was very good. But, you know, when you're when you find yourself alone in a foreign country after a move and you don't have friends around or you're and, and you know, you're it's a time zone change. So you can't just pick up the phone and call someone because it's nighttime, whatever you really get uh, appreciation for what it's like to be on your own, right? And it was interesting during that time, and I was again, I was telling this story in a, in a recent talk I gave about how during that time of like, I could have easily, you know, said, oh, what do I do with all this extra time after work and whatever? I could have spent a lot of time down at the pub, and sometimes I did. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I that was a time where I explored um, trail running really for the very first time it was my first taste of getting outside and running in uh, it's called a place called the new forest um, which is sort of a, a, a national park I guess in the south of England so my flat was close to that and it gave me an opportunity you know what are you going to do with your with your alone time what do you feel like doing what's going to make you feel you know deal with the stress deal with all those things well exercise has a lot of those uh, qualities, right so that was one thing and and you know 
now moving to the states, very different culture. Um, I lived in Colorado, one of the most beautiful places. Lovely place, lovely place. In, I've, uh, yeah, I've skied at Breckenridge yeah. and Vale, and it's amazing. It is, uh, yeah. And if everyone has a chance to go, absolutely Stunning. any part of it, really. Yeah. And um, and so you know, there I you know I spent time, and here's the one thing that. I think from those experiences, at least personally, is that, um, you know, you make friends and sometimes um, some of these, I mean, I have friends for life from both these, these two experiences. So I have friends uh, in Colorado, I have friends and it's really nice to know that other places in the world, you have friends who, you know, the door is always open. And then of course, likewise. So, you know, people come through Ottawa, you, you embrace them and, and that sort of stuff. So it's kind of nice to know that, uh, you have those connections in other ways, but it's very much, I mean, when you're a guy, a fella in your twenties and you're going through this, there's a lot of experiences that are building character and they're not always easy, but you know, now, you know, in some cases, I guess it's almost uh, 15 to 20 years later with moving from when I was in the UK, sorry. Um, I look back on that time fondly. I, I learned so much about myself, and I'm really glad at that time in my life I made that move, even though it was a difficult decision. It was a very difficult decision to leave what I had here and go there almost to try and build a little bit of a life from scratch. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. And like you just mentioned there, um, how important is it to be comfortable in yourself and not only that, be comfortable alone? Mm. Yeah. And this is the, uh, you know, I, I would, uh, I would say growing up as a kid, you know, I, I definitely leaned, uh, uh, it, to being an introvert. I mean, but you know what, let's go back to golf. I mean, there were times gives a, a little bit extra context there. I mean, um, I couldn't always golf with my dad and my brother kind of was into golf and he didn't necessarily, um, like golfing, uh, as much as I did. Um, but my, my mom would, uh, before work would drop me off at the, uh, at the golf course. And, uh, I gave me the option of being picked up at noon, you know, during her lunch break or after work. And there's a lot of times where I would spend the whole day as like a eight, seven or sorry, seven, eight, nine year old. Um, and my neighbor used to work at the golf course, so she could supervise me too. I should say that. So, uh, they, I would spend the whole day there. So you think about a kid playing golf, you know, I have a whole golf course to myself during the day, during the week, especially during the summer months, uh, during vacation and, um, and being on my own, trying to figure out this really complicated game and, you know, having a lot of time with your thoughts and you just, you get to appreciate all of the, I think the peacefulness that comes with being alone that I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know if I would have been able to really appreciate that if, I didn't have those experiences. And so now as a traveler, as someone who's lived in multiple places where I've had to spend a lot of time alone, I think those things come through as part of the character that I had no idea what that was developing in me at the time. But now I feel like, you know, you can go into any situation and you know, you're still, you have a very solid foundation that you can be alone. And that's not a place of weakness. That can be a position of strength that you can build your life outward in a very positive way. And I think that starts, you know, that can really start when you're young and some of the way that your parents kind of, uh, you know, allow you to experience some of these opportunities and this independence. Yeah, that's such a good point. And um, I just, as you were saying, like, I think today, in today's world, we don't allow ourselves to, I think it's not be bored, but we don't even allow ourselves to think. It, it, I think too often we grab our smartphone for a second if we've got nothing to do. And um, do you think 
in today's world, I know obviously golf, people don't play golf, but um, everything you've just mentioned that you were able to be able to come at peace with yourself, be present and really find the beauty of that. Do you see that is something that just doesn't happen in today's world with everything going on with social media, with technology, that poor kids these days, they don't actually get to feel the beauty of what you did as a kid? Well, yeah, and I think that there's this is I, I couldn't agree with you more. There, there's it's a different time. I mean, I, I feel like you know the old guys say, "Oh, times are different," but they are <laughs> they are they are they are different in um, a lot of ways. And one of them is the attraction of these uh, you know sedentary options that are very appealing. You know, the screen time, uh, the smartphones, the video games, and stuff like that. Which, of course, we had some video games growing up, but. Uh, it, they weren't, you know, they're so well designed now. And so the, the, the opportunities are, um, they're harder to create. I have a four-year-old and so I'm very cognizant of this idea of screen time. And I know that, you know, the early years are so important for developing a positive relationship with physical activity and being able to initiate play and, 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 and learn uh, social cues and stuff like that. Things that you don't necessarily get at all when you're stuck in front of a TV or in front of a tablet or whatever. And, and you still, and you, you see, um, and it's not as uncommon as I think it, 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 you would like to see it is, is, is there's, you know, parents who are, you know, relying on those things earlier and earlier with their children. And then of course, play, especially outdoor play and, uh, even risky play is just, uh, it's just, just sort of disintegrated. And, um, so having, you know, the experiences I just described as a, as a kid and having parents that I don't know if it was cognizant, if it was a conscious thing to allow or just the way of life back then. And now again, having that experience, I'm a little bit more uh, um, aware of it. And now that I'm a, a father, I've got a four year old, as I said, you know, I'm, I'm definitely wanting to support that. But it's an uphill. I got to say it's an uphill climb. It's it's harder to um, to create that because there are the technology is is you know, it's everywhere. It's it. And, and it's hard to kind of peel kids away or at least make enough of a case for their, for them, um, like motivationally that there's so many other great things to do that are fun. Um, and, and that, that are attractive as well. So it's not like they start off their life with, you know, always having, you know, the screen in a screen in front of them as their first choice. Right. And that's kind of, that's the best you can kind of do as a parent these days is is take control of what you can control and create an environment that, you know, protecting play, you know, you know, in a way is is by being really I mean, at least the way I look at it is um, by, you know, moderating the, the screen time and these other sedentary things that can be borderline, you know, let's call a spade a spade, borderline addictive. Um, and as adults, we should all know that because of, you know, our relationship with our smartphones and and. You know, the idea that, you know, the, the engineers behind this are trying to make them uh, so attractive and addictive because it's, you know, their business relies on it. So, you know, and, and that's what you're up against when uh, and, I, and I think about this, I reflect on this as a, as a parent that, you know, my my little girl is sort of that's what what awaits her. And, um, you know, we'll navigate that when we get there. But, you know, the idea of like, let's let's have as much opportunity to play and be a kid um, out in Iceland, outdoors, risky play, all those types of things. And as much as possible, you know, before those things, you know, start showing up uh, amongst her peers and, and she gets really curious about them. Like, let's set, let's set a, a foundation. And I think it's, you know, when you're a preschooler, um, 
you know, you have, and you're a parent of a preschooler, you have more control over that. And so I, I take that pretty serious responsibility. I take that responsibility pretty seriously. Yeah, it's so true. And like you just mentioned, that gamification in everything people do now, it's so addictive. And the game creators around, the game creators are in everything. They're around story, they're around apps, they're around social media, they're around everything because that's exactly what they do. They make it so addictive for people to just continue doing what they're doing. And um, one of the big things that I do a lot of now, Kelly, and I'm so passionate about is play, like you just mentioned, and not only for kids, but for adults, you know, the creative thinking, the creative team play, the human connection, the socializing the risk-taking, everything you've just mentioned there, how important is it that we keep playing, not just as kids, but as adults as well? Oh, man, like, this is a, that's a great question because, oh, like, you know, I think there's a, probably a lot of adults who associate play with playing video games and stuff like that. And to a certain extent, maybe there is and stuff like that because um, gaming is such a huge thing. And so, of course, me being an ac- an advocate of of, of of active living, I look at that as uh, a little bit of uh, not really the opposition, but you you get my drift. And um, absolutely, the 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 erosion of play as we age, and especially as we navigate adulthood, is is strong, right? I mean, we often have to reteach ourselves <laughs> how to do certain things. And you know, if I if I do bring fitness and physical activity into it, it even shows up the mindset that we've de- just developed over time. Uh, I'm not saying it's an anti-play one, but just an absence of play in, in our daily lives. Adulthood is about being serious and stuff like that. It really does show up in fitness because a lot of people treat um, exercise as this job, um, uh, this, this you know burdensome responsibility. It's painstaking. And yet, if you think about all the, all the options that um, are available to us to be active, all the choices we have, and I'm sure in Australia there's a few more unique ones, but there are so many opportunities to play through movement. And there's, of course, lots of uh, more sedentary ways of playing and, and creative ways. And that's awesome. You know, but in terms of physical activity as an adult, it's just such an accessible thing um, to 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 get, uh, uh, you know, playtime, if you will, uh, through through uh, activity. And of course, it's healthy in a myriad of ways. Right. It's mentally uh, good for us. It's physically good for us, but it also just feels good to do it. Un- I think it just unlocks something that I think it's just cl- something in us that's been collecting dust, right? Yeah. Because as we, even as we age, I mean, you know this, and this is area, but as we even uh, now, you know, we wind our way through the school system as, as children and young adults or whatever, you know, physical activity dwindles, which with it play kind of dwindles too. And now you're getting released. I always say getting released into the wild, right? And, and, uh, we've been kind of, at least out here, we kind of get the message that, well, it's time to leave all that stuff behind because it's childish. Now it, it's time to, to get serious. It's about get, you know, getting the job, getting the house and, and, uh, you know, it, you know, it really paints a picture that adulthood shouldn't be that fun. Right. <laughs> but it's, it, which is ridiculous because anyone who's ever had such a positive experience, like, you know, thinking about uh, playing a sport or recreational sport, if I bring it back to physical activity a little bit, you know that like, you know, there's so we're still designed, we're still animals designed uh, to to embrace play. We we need it. And uh, it's not just something that kids do to acquire skills. It's something to keep our skills fresh. And it's something to keep our, our minds sharp and our bodies healthy. There's a lot of benefits to it. And yet it's it's not really um, prioritized. It's 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 deprioritized uh, 
if, to allow these other responsibilities, I, I'm saying in air quotes, all these other responsibilities to come to the forefront. And I'm not saying it's it, you know, it's you know, don't be responsible, but I think they're just there's room for it, and we need to embrace it a little bit more. Yeah, it's so true. And like you just said, I love everything you just mentioned, Kelly, is something that I'm really passionate about too because if you go to a primary school or an elementary school and all kids do all day is play, they run around, they're creative, they're fun, they're smiling. But the older we get, for some reason, we've got to be serious. Life takes over. We get a job, we get a mortgage, we get a family. We get all these things and we're too busy. But the one thing we need to do is have play because the opposite of play isn't um, not play. The opposite of play is depression. When you stop playing and stop actively living, you start slowly dying on the inside. So it is so important, mate. And I could not uh, resonate with you enough there. So, mate, everything you've been saying today, I love it. So let's get into this book. And I know this is your masterpiece. You're so proud of it. Feel like it. Break up with the failing fitness. Let's let's give us a snapshot of this book. And for guys listening, there is an awesome trailer that is going to be in the show notes. If you go to episode 153, you'll see this and you'll be like, bang, I want to buy it. But Kelly, let's talk about the book, mate. Let, let's break it down for us. Well, there's a variety of angles to it. And I told you about that experience about uh, 10 years ago where I was working in a fitness center and I started uh, uh, performing a lot of interviews, fitness histories. And I started noticing that, um, you know, when I when when people come to a gym and I just use that context for now, a gym or a fitness center, you know, the first conversation they're expecting to have with a fitness professional is what's your goal? Right. You got to have <laughs> yep. a goal yeah, to the you point. You have a goal in life, don't you? But that, that's not true. Right. Right. To 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 the point, to, to, you know, they, they, they bring they, they, this is such a, a prolific part of the fitness industry and not just the fitness industry. But let's talk about the fitness industry for a second that. Um, uh, that people will come to the gym and whether you ask it or not, they, they're going to start talking about goals. And then I was like, yet, if I look at all the people who I uh, was uh, sort of, let's say, call it studying or interviewing who are loyally active, they had goals. And so did the people who couldn't, um, who had a history of being unable to really stick to fitness, at least stick to the gym. And so I wonder, like, could goals be the solution here? Is that the question that's going to solve their motivation issues and help them adhere to uh, exercise? And from the gym's perspective, who I was working for, is that really going to help these people stay loyal to, you know, what was in effect this business, right? Who they need they, this business needs that loyalty to survive. Is that really the question that is going to change the game? And and. Um, and so, of course, uh, you know, I'll cut the suspense. No, it's not because um, I started. So getting back to the book, which, you know, called Feel Like It, I I started to analyze the role of that question. It's OK to have goals. I'm not anti-goal at all. But I started questioning the timing of that question and whether we could ask something better. And when I started interviewing the loyal, more loyally active people, um, you know, the people who've been active for years, sometimes decades. And I started asking them really basic questions like, well, you know, uh, you know, what are the things you like to do? How long you've been doing them? Um, what is it that you, what keeps you back basically back to the things that you really, um, um, are sticking to or that you're committed to. And it always came back to that. They liked it. I mean, Oh, I like lifting weights or I like doing yoga. And I'm like, Oh, okay. It's basic one-on-one, of course, but it's like, what do you like about it? It came down to a feeling. There was a feeling that they had that when they were doing that thing, it brought something out 
in them that they liked. And maybe for some, it was more, uh, uh, you know, it was something more playful and, and whatnot, but they felt something that they really couldn't ignore. And that was, yes, they, they had goals, but, and yes, they knew that being active was healthy for them, but this was their time to feel a certain way that they enjoyed. And that was really at the heart of the commitment. So then I said like, well, why are we asking goals at the first thing they, 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 when, when an, uh, a, a fitness seeker or a potential gym member comes into the gym, why are we asking about goals? So I, I, I really talk about the book as a tale of two questions right now. If you're going to start a fitness journey, if those are, there's people who are listening to your show right now who are, maybe they've had a, a history of, of being frustrated and not having uh, or not being able to stick to a routine or joining a fitness center or starting a new thing and dropping out and whatnot. And they're just motivation kind of goes up and down. Most people, most of these people will have goals. You know, your listeners will have goals too, but maybe we should start asking something else and build around something else. And that question is, which is what I started asking the people who came to the gym is how do you want this to feel? Mm. And what I did with, and so first off, most people, when they hear that question, they go, I have no idea. You know, um, I'm here to talk about goals. Why are you asking me this? Well, <laughs> if loyalty is based just like any, any, um, uh, just like any relationship we have with between people, whatever. And I, and I treat fitness as a relationship. That's sort of the metaphor of the book. Um, a relationship, a loyal relationship, a loyal friendship, a loyal partnership, uh, uh, a loyal marriage always comes down to a feeling that that person brings out in you and that you have towards that fe- that person. And if if that's really the core of commitment and loyalty, why are we not talking about that with people who are struggling? Why are we not talking about that um, at the start of a fitness journey? Why is, as a someone uh, why, why do, you know, like in terms of the loyally active people, why are the loyally active people having this great, you know, marriage between their goals and how they feel and, you know, people who are struggling aren't getting those opportunities. And one of the things that was happening that I noticed and when I talked to the loyally active people, um, is that they discovered what they liked the things, you know, maybe it's one thing, sometimes it's two or three, you know, the things in the routine that they were really motivated to do, they discovered these things by accident. And here we have the secret sauce to commitment was finding things that felt a certain way. And they were telling me when I started asking them, like, how did you just, how did you discover, um, uh, boot camp? How did you discover running? How did you discover basketball? And you, you get to the stories and there are all these accidental encounters. And I said, well, we can't really rely on luck as a strategy, right? I mean, that's not a strategy. Like, hey, well, just wait for your time to come. And soon something, just like dating, right? Soon someone <laughs> will come along and, right? And that happens from time to time. And sometimes it takes a long time for that to happen. But if we look at fitness uh, as a relationship, you know, that dating uh, metaphor really works. And so with these people who are coming to the gym, I started asking, you know, how they wanted to feel because... That's the way that we don't need luck. We can say, how do you want it to feel? If you can answer that question, then we can start suggesting activities that are at that fitness center and to a certain extent out in the community that fit how you want to feel. And all the research uh, out there on intrinsic motivation on intrinsic motivation, and in health psychology says that if you find uh, exercise that you enjoy, that it challenges you in the right way, and um, you, you'll you'll because of those things, you you are eager to kind of get better at it and kind of master it, that we stick to those things. And if you support yourself 
with some like-minded people along the way, it really strengthens. And so this is the sort of the inception point of the book was I just saw this different, this divergence between, um, uh, you know, the loyally active people and people who struggle. And I, I sort of, you know, in, in short, I kind of broke the cycle for these individuals who are struggling by asking them how they want their journey to feel. And of course, the effect of that when we started measuring things like retention was uh, was really positive. And so here we are, we having people who would normally join in January, you know, the resolutionary people who, you know, in, in a couple months in, they're, they're out of there. Now they're sticking around. Now they're doing, but they're also doing things that they've never necessarily done before. They're they are, um, as I say, using that fitness meta- metaphor again, they're not coming back to the gym as if they're going back to an ex, right? An old relationship. Yeah. They're saying they're coming to this gym and I'm going to rebuild my relationship. I'm going to start a new relationship. And guess what? It means I might be doing some things a little differently this time. It's not just about working harder. It's about finding things that fit me. And that changed the game entirely. And when I had that experience working in the trenches, if you will, with particularly the people who are struggling and seeing and talking to them on a regular basis, because I was immersed in this environment for, for years. I, I was just convinced that there's a conversation here that we are not having. And as the book trailer suggests, um, you know, success is not necessarily, uh, just the achieving of the goal. Um, and, and, you know, like whether that's losing weight or trying to be active a little more often, success is really about, do you want to do it again? Do you want to go back? Do you have that feeling, that feel like it feeling, I say? Do you feel like going back when you're done? When you are in between chips to the gym or in between runs, do you kind of daydream about it? Do you kind of get a little excited about the next time? Do you have that feeling? That to me is success because when that uh, state of affairs emerges, when you have enough experiences with positive, positive experiences with physical activity, and sometimes they're brand new that you've never had before, you... you start anticipating um, and looking forward to your next time that you go. And and when you start craving that, the quantity will come. When you you have these quality experiences that feel good, the quantity will come. And I had all of these, uh, all of this, uh, this data to suggest that. And that was the point where now I have to run with this. This is what this changed a lot for me professionally, because at that point I was sort of in high performance sport. I was, I was looking at training athletes to, uh, be better, uh, you know, at, at the higher levels. Uh, but but here's a problem that people have been facing and face all over the world, my country, your country, about trying to stay motivated, try to be regularly active enough, at least to to get some health benefits from it. And no one's talking about it in this way. So I said, why not me? Why why not? Let's bring this relationship metaphor into the fray. That fitness is not a look. It's not a measure. Um, it's not some sort of outcome like that. It's a relationship. It's a relationship between you and the, and your mind and your body and the the activities that you choose to do. And if we can strengthen the bond amongst all those sort of things, you're off and running. Yeah. But we don't have the skills. We're not taught the skills to be able to do that. And part of it, going back to what your point was before, Dale, is that you know we fitness is a job because you know as adults, you know play is childish, and that kind of might sound a lot like play. Like I can go to the gym and have fun. Like what, what is that about? And I'm not saying that everyone's going to go like, Oh, I got to have fun at the gym. Sometimes it's a little more serious for them. That's fine. That's how you want to feel. That's fine. But that's really how things took off at that point. 
Yeah, I, Kelly, just listening to everything you've just mentioned, that if you feel something and you like it, um, you're going to want to keep doing it. And like you just said, fun for people. And I, my big thing in life, and that's what I mean, people that just aren't in the fitness, fitness industry, you know, coaches, teachers, parents, uh, business executives, this book is something you need because that relationship about making people feel part of something, being part of a tribe or having fun. And that might mean if you're serious at the gym or you want to go and have fun, fun's different for everybody. But if you can get to that state where you think about it, you want it, you want that relationship more, that is crucial, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I, I think, you know, if I deep dive a little bit into the book, there's a couple chapters I want to just make note of. And actually, if you go to my website, uh, Kelly Dell, that's D-O-E, ll.com slash energetic you can get a free chapter it's called lessons from the loyal I, I i recommend people checking that out it's a free chapter um you can get a little bit of a synopsis of some of the key lessons i learned from that trench work that i was talking about but the other chapter i want to allude to that you get into when you talk about like yeah well you know fun is different from for, for you know from one person to the next and what people like varies well the more times i the more interviews i conduct people who are and I ask them, is it that they like about, you know, thing X or thing Y, you know, you know, volleyball, weightlifting, you name it. And, you know, I talk to people who do, did all kinds of stuff, CrossFit. Um, they would talk about a certain experience like, oh, you know, like I really like the peacefulness and the flow of yoga. I like the, the rhythm of being on my road bike and being, you know, outdoors. And there's this language they started using. So I actually took that language and I listened to, to, oh, I, you know, I, I've lost count by now, but you know, it's in the hundreds of, inter, I, I, of loyally, listen to uh, hundreds of loyally active people describe what it is they liked and how they liked their favorite things. And then there's this language that came out. And so I have these 14 things that I started to uh, talk about and I, I teach in my work. There's 14 experiences that really define what uh, what is really likable, so likable about physical activity. And I won't go through all of them, but in the book I describe them and I use that as a tool now. Like when someone, I ask someone like, well, how do you want your fitness journey to feel? How do you want this time after having some struggles in the past and, you know, a history of, of stopping and starting, stopping and starting, how do you want it to feel this time? And when people give me that glazed over look, which is common, like, I don't know. I'm like, well, look at these 14 things. Then we, we put some language to it and then it's like, oh, well, we build a routine over, around that now we can we've got a language we've got uh, um you know a stick in the sand we got we've got something to build on that is not necessarily based around a goal but it's based about i would say the fundamental tenets of, of intrinsic motivation is that this is what you're going to enjoy if you're curious about uh activities that are explosive can be an explosive exercise or kickboxing class or whatever there's explosive movements movement patterns if that's something that you are curious about it's it's gut and saying like, ah, I like that kind of experience. Well, guess what? There's something for you. And, and so I was using this words, I call them the, uh, the, uh, the 14 motives. Um, and that is a tool now to people kind of revamp their routine and build around that so that they're including things that they like to do. And then, and then the next stage is, and I talk about this in the book too, and the next stage is to, well, we can also improve how, how enjoyable the exercise or the, the physical activity is as you do it too, right? There's skills there, again, that we don't necessarily get taught um, that can help us enhance the experience, enhance the enjoyment, and thus the attraction we and the bond we are building with our bodies and with that particular activity. 
Yeah, it's, it's so true, Kelly. And like you just mentioned, when people are feeling those emotions or the 14 things you just said, they're present. They're not thinking about anything else. And that is the beauty of moving your body and exercising and playing and whatever you're doing. So guys, check out the book. I'll have links for that in the show notes. There will be that free chapter as well. I love how it's called Energetic. It sort of really matches what we're talking about today, Kelly. Um, now, Kelly, just before <laughs> we finish up, mate, because I'm aware of the time and um, I know how busy you are, mate, I've got a couple of questions that I always finish off my interviews with. And if you could look back to 18-year-old Kelly from everything you've done now, um, obviously being a superstar golfer living in the States, UK, Canada, being a lecturer, um, writing a book, working fitness professionals, doing everything you've done now, being a father, what would one bit of advice that you've learned from your journey be to 18-year-old Kelly? You ask that to everybody? Yeah, wow. I do. I do, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And it stumps a lot of That's people. That's a beauty. I'm going to, you know, guess what? First off, I'm going to steal that question from yeah, my guests on my show. <laughs> um, what would be the advice that I would give? Um, you know, you know, honestly, if I think about that now and, and where I was when I was 18, figure out how you want your life to feel first and build around that. Don't look to everyone else to give you all this guidance. Think about seriously, how do you want your life to feel and what are the things that are going to make that happen? And that's, to me, the, the way that you can build a career around something that energizes you, makes you feel alive. It's a way that you can choose fitness experiences, even uh, relationships. Like, does this person, uh, your friendships, like, you know, are, are, am I surrounding myself or am I surrounding also other people, uh, my, myself w- with other people um, in a way that uh, makes me feel the way I want to feel? And, and, you know, and if it doesn't, you know, <laughs> you, you make, you make sometimes some difficult decisions about that, but inform your decisions based on that question as, as much as anything else. And we're taught, I think when we exit high school, it's like, you know, we already touched on it and you brought it up too about the, you know, get the good job, you know, that goal ladder, you know, get the good job, then get the house and then get married and the kids, that whole thing, that whole ladder. And that we're taught that that's really important. But um, as a colleague would say to me, there's space between the, the rungs, right? And it's fine to have those goals, but the space between the rungs is just as important as the rungs themselves. And if it's not filled, if those things, if, if that space isn't filled with uh, doing things uh, that make you feel how you want to feel, then that ladder can be a very empty journey. And I would tell my 18-year-old self, like, how is it you want to feel and then go after it? That's yeah. what I would say. Love that, Kelly. And like your metaphor around the, the ladder, if, if you don't have good experiences between the runs and the ladder, then they're going to be too close together and you won't actually be able to move up the ladder, will you? Because um, <laughs> unless they're evenly spread, it's going to be a really rocky ride as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's just one of those things we get taught, right? This is a, uh, a, it's a cultural phenomenon that that is the way that adulthood good, uh, works. And, you know, in, in terms of like, I know a lot of your passions with play, it's, it's, don't forget, I mean, don't forget as you, as you know, an 18 year old person, like when you get, I say, released into the wild, that don't forget some of the, what we would call the childlike qualities that Help us get good at things in the first place. Don't forget about those things, the sense of wonder, the sense of play, uh, creativity, and, and being social, and all these types of things that come naturally, let's just say, as, as a kid. Don't forget those because they're powerful skills even in adulthood, and yet they get brushed aside for these other uh, quote-unquote responsibilities sometimes, and I think it's to our own detriment. 
Yeah, so I, I love that, and that's I think that's the quote of uh, the podcast so far that people really need to adapt that. And so, just to finish up, um, obviously the legacy you want to leave, Kelly. What what is that? Because what I, I love the way you've changed fitness from being like a chore, or the way people look at it that it's all goal orientated. That now it becomes what do you feel? What does it feel like? How do you enjoy it? What does the fun? What are you part of? So, is that the legacy you want to leave, mate? Well, you know, I don't, you know, I haven't really thought a whole lot about a legacy, but, you know, I mean, as you're asking the question, I'm like, well, what would be a positive um, side effect of all of this? And if, you know, the discourse on health and fitness and, um, you know, in education, physical education, even uh, if the discourse could include that question um, as a part of the conversation, if I could contribute in this book or, or you know, my, my future work too, if it can contribute to a conversation that I, I think is on the right side of history, if you will, then I would say that's a quite a, a successful thing because, you know, I have a four-year-old daughter. I really hope like the stuff that I talk with, with uh, uh, the conversations I have with adults, I hope that she it gets, at least gets exposed to them. I mean, she will by default because I, I really hope she reads my book at some point. I don't really know. I mean, I'm not going to force her. But the idea that these are conversations that I as a, I value as a person and as a professional, and I hope that like she gets exposed to as she navigates the the you know her next stage of her life as she goes through kindergarten and all these other things. And um, I just hope that that's a, a positive contribution to the conversation that allows people to find their fit uh more easily, um, uh, because for a lot of people it's struggle and they, they, without a little bit of luck, they might struggle for their lifetime. And I don't think that's necessary. And yeah. so that's kind of what I hope I leave behind. And that's what I hope yes. that this book achieves in the, in the short term too. I think, I think that's beautiful, mate. And, um, it's a lot, I feel a lot of things in life always come back to the way we ask a question or how we put it forward. And the way you've just sort of flipped that around when, when I'm sitting here now, it sounds so simple, but it's a really different way of looking at things and it changed people's viewpoint and then their uh, their opinion changes and it just makes everything they do around moving their body, instead of being a chore, being joyful, being a privilege to do everything we've done. So that legacy so far, from what I've heard today, mate, the great work you're doing with your book, you're presenting, your podcast, everything like that, I've loved it. So Kelly, where can we find you, mate? Well, your website, you've just mentioned that. Where else are you, buddy? I uh, I do a weekly podcast on the mental side of uh, active living and sustainable fitness. And so that's probably the best way to kind of jump from, I mean, people will be listening to this podcast. Check it out. It's called Happily Ever Active. And you can follow me on Instagram too. It's kelly.dell. There's a silent O. So it's D-O-E-L-L. And follow me on Instagram. I'm on Facebook too. You can hunt me down. But I would say just check out some of the the, the podcast, and if it resonates, uh, become a subscriber and and, and check in. I, I'd, I'd really love that. The, the show is growing. It's been one of the most fun parts of this whole journey for me, so I'm, I'd be grateful for people to check it out. Yeah, and um, I'll have links for all of that on the show notes, and I've listened to a couple of your podcasts now after knowing that you're going to be a guest, and um, before we uh, had this episode today and we were recording i think we spoke about 10 minutes about podcasting i did want to come back to it Kelly, but um i think the conversation just went a different direction so um i know we're sort of finished up there but um with your podcast mate what what have you learned about not only your guests and everything else but what have you learned about yourself from doing a podcast well you know it's uh 
And this is what, yeah, we were talking about this before we started recording, but like, I think one of the things that, um, it's similar in some ways to, uh, authorship, writing a book is that you have to really know where you stand on an idea, on an issue. You have to have a pretty clear mind to be able to produce, uh, um, content, produce a sentence, produce a podcast that, uh, could potentially strike a chord with someone. And so you really have to know where you are and what you believe and you have to have some conviction behind it and really believe in yourself to, to put it out there because it's, it's a pretty, uh, I mean, I put a lot of my work up on, um, on my podcast and it's a, you know, a bit of a vulnerable thing. I talk about mental health, my, my journey with mental health periodically on the show. And, and it's, it's something I wouldn't normally, uh, I wouldn't, you know, it's not something that I take lightly to, to do those sort of things. So it's a vulnerable thing, but it's also, um, I, I really passionate about the podcasting side more, more than I thought I would be because it's a great way for people to, uh, to hear it straight from my mouth. It's a little bit different. Like, and, and, and the thing is that when I do talks and people, uh, you know, even my local community who know about the show and I have conversations, it's just a great way to continue, you know, to, to, as a conversation starter, uh, in, in other parts of my life, it's, it's a, it's been a really wild ride and it's a lot of work, absolutely a lot of work. And I, and I'm very diligent in how I prepare each show. I choose my topics carefully. I choose my guests very carefully. I, uh, I, I, I don't necessarily, um, you know, chase the celebrity. I, ch- I try and find value, valuable people with a lot of valuable things to say. And that might, they, they're, they're sometimes faces in the crowd. They just have these great stories and I want to bring them to light. And so getting to know some of my guests who I don't know that well in that way has just been really impactful. I gave it, a, a, for example, I, I conducted an interview called Pills and Purpose with a uh, fellow who started the very first obstacle-based uh, fitness center here in uh, Ottawa, my city, Ottawa. And um, and his journey was like, I mean, it almost brought me to tears. It's so impactful about his journey to uh, become a, a leader in the fitness community, which had a lot of personal obstacles that he had overcome. And so here I am on the fly having the, conducting these interviews and just being, you know, I'm being like a fly in the wall. I'm like, wow. And that part of things, you know, there, you know, you mentioned too, before we, 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 uh, recorded that, you know, the ongoing lear- learning is, is, um, off the charts. So, I mean, every person I interview, and this has been the case since I started my work years ago, uh, where I wasn't, you know, conducting interviews for podcasts, just research related interviews. Um, you know, every single person you talk to is going to teach you something. You don't necessarily know what it is. And I just feel so grateful that I have these opportunities now to, and a platform to share with people's stories, but also share the lessons that are coming out of them that, again, we just wouldn't ever hear. I mean, it's amazing. And that's what the beauty of podcasting now is that there's so many uh, nooks and crannies of the world where there's stories that are coming to light. And there's people like you who are finding people and, and giving people a voice that might not, you know, have the voice to be able to share their expertise. And you never know who's listening, who just like, Oh, that just changed something in their day, but maybe even changed something in their life based on what they hear. And to me, that's a very powerful thing. And I and I and I treat that uh, I treat that uh, um, that privilege very seriously. Yeah, so true, Kelly. And like like you just said, the power of listening. And I think that is the beauty of podcasting because you all you can do is listen. And there's not many situations in day to day life where 
All you can do is listen. You, you're not a fly on the wall, but for example today, people who might be in their car, they might be running, they could be swimming, they could be laying in bed, and they've just listened to an amazing conversation, particularly everything you're doing. And the big thing that I've come back to is that um, play is important, and I love that you really value that. But the big thing is if you feel like doing something, if you enjoy it, you're going to do it more, and it really comes back to the questioning and how you do it. So, uh, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show today, mate. It's uh, uh, The conversation went completely different way that I thought it would but as I said yeah. I think that's the beauty of podcasting everything you do so um, guys listening episode 153 I'll have links for everything Kelly's mentioned the bonus chapter of his book so you can check that out but also links to contact him Kelly's podcast Happily Ever After and also watch the trailer for the book because it is really gripping it's like another Marvel film I tell you what you could be <laughs> a movie star as well my friend but um, mate thanks for all the amazing work you're doing um, I really appreciate your time today and I know so many people will get so much out of our episode Oh, I really appreciate it, Dale. And congratulations on your show. I love the questions, and I'm going to steal them all. <laughs> My pleasure, mate.